0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, go ahead and stand as we read this text. I, I think I've... Most certainly been in the book of Philippians more than any other book. Uh, my first eight months or or so of pastoring, and uh, I I went through this series in Sunday school with the uh, the sanctuary uh, the adults here in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, and I've preached out of Philippians a number of times this year. I think uh, there's just something about uh, it, Paul's message uh, resonate just resonates with me and. And uh, this seems like a strange, maybe a strange uh, passage, to use around Christmas time, but if you think about it, it's really a very appropriate passage to talk about at Christmas time in Philippians 2. And we'll begin reading in verse one, and we'll read down uh, through verse twelve, no, for, through verse eleven. It says in Philippians chapter two, and, and as we read, I want you to notice. Okay, there's the Christmas part. There's where it connects. Look at verse one. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. A great verse right here, verse 4 Look not every man on his own things. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of that, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, What a powerful text tonight. But the reason that he ended up where he did was because of his spirit in verses 5 through 8. This is the part that connects to this season. Let's read that again, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, even though it's not specifically about the Christmas story, it is about the Incarnation. The Incarnation was Jesus Christ coming from his Father's right hand and taking on a body, a meat, flesh, Incarnation, carne. He took upon him flesh and put himself into a body, So this isn't maybe about Christmas, but it is certainly about the incarnation, and Christmas is about the incarnation. We're going to see something, though, in Christ that maybe most people don't connect to see at this time of year, but I think it could be a good reminder as we go along. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, help us to see how this applies to us this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. So I want you to think about the magnitude of the incarnation. Uh, let this mind be in you... ...which was also in Christ Jesus... ...who being in the form of God... ...thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He took upon him the form of a man. Uh, he, he came in the form of a human body. Christ in his very essence was and is God. And this, is, this will be maybe somewhat doctrinal tonight... But, ...but I think you'll see how it leads to it. He's in full possession... Jesus Christ is in full possession of the divine nature, the same divine nature that God the Father has. Uh, His divinity cannot be altered. He is God. And so when verse 6 mentions that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, you think, well, what does that mean? Well, the word rob means to snatch or to grab, right? If you think of a robbery, you think of something grabbing something. Well, he says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What it's saying is he didn't think that being equal with God and divinity was something he's going to hold, he's going to hold on to for dear life. If this represents the divinity of God, if Jesus Christ wasn't up in heaven saying, "No, I'm I am I am God, I am divine, and you can't pull me out away from here." He didn't think it robbery or something to be grabbed or something to be held onto to be equal with God. He was willing to let his position go. He was willing... he didn't now he didn't give up his divinity. But he did give up his place next to his father. He didn't hold on to it for dear life and say, no, I'm not letting go of this. He was willing to let it go for God's purposes. Verse 7, it, it says, but made himself of no reputation. And this means to empty It's the kenosis. Maybe you've heard of that before. That that Jesus Christ emptied himself. Now, again, he did not empty himself of his divine nature. He was still all God, but more that he concealed all that he was in a sight of body of flesh. And when he was born, anybody that saw him lying there in that manger, they saw a baby. They didn't see a baby that was glowing with a halo. They didn't see a, uh, you know, they, they looked at him and saw a baby. As he grew up, uh, he looked like a teenager. The, as he got older and, and became a man, people saw him as a, as a carpenter. He was likely a carpenter, being raised in a carpenter's home. He appeared to those around him to be a man, but Jesus Christ at the same time was also all God. He was all God, all man. The pre-existing Son of God is as divine as God himself, yet the incarnate Son of Man, who was as human as you and I, they're the same person. All God, all man. You ask me, well, explain that better. That's the best I can do. I can't fully understand it or wrap my mind around it. We just know that he was all God and at the same time all man. And there's no reason for us to think that God can't do that. I mean, he does the impossible. So he can certainly put his son, who's as divine as he is, into a body and not even just as an adult. I mean, as a baby. This is God in a baby's body. It just blows my mind that, that, that he could do that. Verse 7, um, go, I, well, an old Christmas carol, I forgot to say this. It has these lyrics. Low within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. Can you imagine that? holding a baby that created you. I mean, that's created everything. It's amazing. Verse 7 goes on to say that he took upon him the form of a servant. You talk about emptying yourself. Uh, The son of God who created everything and reigns over everything, he came not as a king, he came as a servant. And even further, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. So it would have been enough for him to come and serve but he came to die on a cross. It gets more and more amazing. I mean, the same one who made all things came to die for me. He came to die for you. Right. Now, this is a message we're all familiar with. And, and, I, and I don't want to just rehash old thoughts tonight. Uh, I want you to really catch it again. Um, it only comes around one time of year. But as we talk about these things, I want you to try and ask God even tonight to help you to see it afresh... That God himself, the divine creator of all that we know, put himself inside a human body. Don't get over that. And and he came to die. He he came to die because we needed a savior. God's son willingly died in our place to reconcile us to the father. That's what I call emptying. It, It would have been an emptying enough if all he had done was just to become and be born uh, to Mary and Joseph and raised by a carpenter, we would say that it was emptying enough if he had simply spent his, his ministry healing sick people and, and helping people, showing love to sinners. Emptying would have been maybe bowing to wash the disciples' feet. Those are certainly things that we would call emptying, amen? But to die in the place of the sinners, those who have willingly sinned against him, that is a true emptying. And to take it a step further, it wasn't just any death. I want you to think about the cross, too. And, and we're not going to get into it, but, I, but Galatians 3 says that cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You know, the cross was the worst form of Roman death. It was the worst form of execution. It was, it was terrible. It was awful. And the Bible says that the motto or the idea back then was if you hung on a tree in, in crucifixion, you were cursed. I mean, God, Jesus could have come and died any way he wanted to, and yet he chose the worst death that he could have died. He did all of this willingly. He humbled himself, he, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He became obedient under the death of the cross. It's a miracle enough that he came, but he didn't have to come the way he did. I mean, he could have come as a king. He could have at least been born in a comfortable house instead though where we as we saw this morning, where did his mother and father lay him? They laid him in a manger. I mean he could have uh, he it seems as if he could have come uh, in a much better way, but in my opinion he came as lowly as he could have uh, he didn't he didn't take the easy way out at all, and that that's really ought to be on our minds this season as we have family time and we open presents and we decorate and we enjoy our traditions. Don't lose sight of the lengths that Jesus Christ came to save us. What I'm thankful for tonight, and this is kind of where we get into the thought, is that Jesus Christ didn't place conditions on following his Father like we do sometimes. I'm just telling you, sometimes I place conditions on how I obey. Sometimes in my mind, I'm thinking, as long as it fits within these parameters of my mindset, then I will do what God says. Now, I'm willing to go to South Dakota, but if he calls me to Africa, I'll go. (laughs) I've already come to South Dakota. I mean, one winter in South Dakota probably equals three years in Africa. Who knows? I mean, sometimes we place parameters. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we place parameters on how far we'll follow. And we say, yeah, we'll do this, but as, as long as it kind of remains inside of our box. But what if Jesus Christ had approached this task, incarnation, his birth, all the way to his death? What if he would have approached his task, this task, the way that I approach my service to God? See, we have a tendency to limit how far we'll follow based on two questions. And these are two thoughts I want to give you tonight uh, that that we can apply to this situation and then apply to ourselves. There are two questions sometimes we ask when it comes to following. The first is, how much will it cost me? The second is, how much will it gain me? I don't know if that's the right form of that word, but it is for this message. (laughs) How much will it cost me? How much will it gain me? How much will I benefit from this? See, sometimes when it comes to following, we start to apply those kind of questions to our obedience. Well, well, what's it going to cost me? Or how is it going to benefit me? But I want you to start, I want to start with that first one and just take note that Jesus Christ did not obey based on what he was losing. He wasn't thinking about what it cost him. Think about what it cost him. Think about what he had to leave to come here. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in a place that he's been for eternity. He didn't just leave one job for another. This was no lateral move. No, he took steps down. He took leaps down. I've heard somebody say, uh, Dr. Dave Hardy has said this, for me to leave my body and enter into the body of a slug on the ground... Would be that would be better than it was for Jesus Christ to leave his Father's throne room and enter into a human body. We don't sometimes imagine or consider how far down he had to come. We think about lateral moves, we think about a step down. No, he leapt off a cliff. That's how far down he came to put himself into our body. This was not just some easy decision that he's leaving one comfort for another no he was leaving the perfect sinless throne room of his father to walk on this dirty planet among a multitude of sinners who would someday put him on a cross that's how far down he came but it didn't stop him because he wasn't sitting there thinking no well wait what's this going to cost me see here's the principle we can't let what we might lose affect whether or not we follow god We can't let what we might lose affect affect whether or not we follow God. See, we have a tendency, again, to measure the benefits of obedience. And if the cost is too high, I'm out. If it costs too much, I don't think so. You know, and and this applies, and I know in in this room where the, you know, this is the core and I'm thankful for it. But I'll just start by talking about giving, which I don't talk about very much. But, you know, some people struggle with giving regularly because when it comes to giving... They can't stop focusing on what they lose in the process. They struggle with giving because in giving, all they see is the, the minus sign, that negative sign before the number, and all they're thinking about is what they're losing by giving. All they see is what's going out. And many times, God's people, they have a tough time giving because they can't stop thinking about all the things they could have done with the money. They're thinking about the cost. And not the fact that we're commanded to obey in, in this area of giving. Some, some of God's people, some Christians in the area of surrender, they struggle with giving up ownership in some area of their life or another because of what they have to give up. And all they think about, it's, it's not, they don't think about what, what they might, God might do through them or might, God might use them to do. They're simply thinking about, but I don't think I could give that up, Lord. They're just thinking about the cost. I think about in people's involvement in church and one of the biggest reasons I find that people don't commit to church attendance and, and membership or involvement, more involvement, is they can't get past giving up their time. I mean, we, many of you, and even in this room, you grew up having Sundays to do what you wanted to with. And, and I commend you for making the decisions at some point along the way, those of you that did. I commend you for at some point saying, I would love another day a week, but Sundays are for God, and I'll give it up for Him. See, I grew up in church. For me, giving up Sundays is not really a big deal. I've never had Sundays. I, it's never been a part of, of my weekend. I've never had two days off on the weekend. But for some of you, I highly com, uh, I'm highly commending of you tonight that you at some point, even as an adult, some of you have said, yes, I would love to have Sundays, but I will give it up because it's the Lord's day, not mine. That must, have been a hard, that must have been a tough switch for some. But I'm thankful that you have been willing to do it. But I believe a lot of people don't. They don't get more involved. They're maybe not here even tonight, or they won't be here on a Wednesday night because Sunday is theirs, and they have things to do, and they can't bear the thought of losing it. What they're not thinking about, though, is what they could gain. If they were to come. I think about your walk with God. Our walk with God. See some Christians they live their lives. They never have a strong walk with God. And I know this sounds silly. But it's the truth. Because it costs them sleep. And you say oh no. I don't think it gets down to that level. Yes it does. It does for me. I mean there are plenty of times. Where I wake up in the morning. And my alarm goes off. And I say surely it can't be that time already. I mean, I think that way, and I just want to hit snooze, but I have a choice to make in that moment. And, and in that moment, I'm telling you, when I'm that tired and I'm that sleepy, I'm not thinking about all the benefits. I'm thinking about the cost. The cost in that moment is, this is going to cost me sleep. And that's the reason I believe that some people never get past a certain level in their walk with God. I think about encouraging or investing in other people. You know, some, you know the reason some people don't have anybody they've ever brought along is because it costs you something to do that it costs you time and sometimes it costs you money sometimes it costs you a sleepless night or two or it costs you an inconvenience and the reason that we don't have more that you maybe haven't brought somebody else along by investing Or encouraging in. They wouldn't look to you as a mentor. And maybe you don't have anybody that you've ever helped get from point A to point B. And and maybe it's because it costs you. And rather than seeing what what could become of that person. All you're thinking about is the cost. You know the applications are abundant. But I go back to this. Be grateful Jesus Christ didn't determine whether or not he was going to come. Based on what he was leaving. Because I'm telling you, if he was simply basing what he was leaving for what he was getting when he got here, he would have never come. Because what he was leaving was much better than what he came to. It's easier for us to focus on what we might lose sometimes. Sometimes I struggle giving my own time that could be spent on other important things. And we all have things that are vying for our attention. And maybe I struggle sometimes to give my time uh, to someone and invest in someone. I mean, it can be hard to give when you're looking at the balance sheet and you're thinking about the numbers and you're thinking, I'm supposed to give, but I really need the money. I really need to pay a bill. You know, it can be difficult to stop and pray for a church family in need or reach out to them or, reach, or try to be a blessing to them somehow when you really need some sleep or you need some time or you've got things to do. I don't deny that there's a struggle, but if anybody had ever been justified not to follow through based on what they were losing, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if anybody had a reason to say, no, that's too much of a cost, it was Jesus Christ. And yet here we are giving up not even a measurable amount compared to what he did. And it often keeps us from serving as we should. We don't follow because of what it costs us because we've lost sight of what it costs Jesus Christ to have us. And that leads us to the second thought tonight. He didn't choose whether or not to obey based on what he lost. He also did not choose whether or not he was going to obey based on what he was going to gain. Well, what exactly did he gain? I want you to think about that. Well, Philippians 2 says he came to die. Why did he die? To reconcile us to God. So you know what he got in dying? He got me. He got you. And we think, well, that's great, but think about it. I mean, he made it possible to be reconciled to God. He got us in the process. And I'm thinking wait, he left the right hand of the Father to become a servant so he could die a cursed death on a cross. And through that, he got me. I mean, I'm not sure that's a win. It seems kind of like a bad trade. I mean, if Jesus Christ had operated like we do sometimes, he might would have stayed in heaven. I, I mean, I might have looked at the shame and the pain of the cross and the rejection of my own father that I knew was coming and said, and, and, and then look, looked at the people who I was dying for that were nailing me to the cross, and I might would have said, forget that. You know, But we can't base our obedience on the perceived value of what we gain. So we don't want to look at what we're losing and obey based on that. But we also can't just look at what we think we might be gaining. And, and, and by that, I mean, we're so used to this cost-benefit analysis. Some of you that own businesses, you understand what I mean. There are some things that are just aren't worth your, worth your time to do. There are some things that are just aren't worth the time. And it's good in your finances, but friends, that doesn't work in following God. You can't just put numbers to following God. I can't choose whether or not to obey him by weighing cost against benefit. For example, the bus ministry. You know, the mindset of some people is, well, what does it really gain us to bring children in on buses? You know, and they look at these kids running through and and eating all of our donuts on Sunday morning. (laughs) None left for me Sunday afternoon. They come running in and they're tearing up the walls and they're running around the church. And, and it's like, what are they? They're not even tithing contributors to our church. You know, I, so what I'm saying is sometimes uh, people can get the mindset, well, towards something like the bus ministry and say, well, we're not gaining enough by bringing them here. So, you know, we're just not going to go that direction. Do You see the danger of applying? Well, what's the benefit? Or what's the gain? In obedience, it's not about the gain or the loss. You just simply obey. You know, some people might ask, they might say, well, I teach a class, but I don't see it making a difference in these kids. They're as bad today as they were the first day they got in my class back in September. Well, I'm not sure it's worth my time. And some people might say, well, I, I've been knocking on doors and I've been inviting my neighbors and nobody's come and I have no prospects. Or, or maybe you're praying and it doesn't seem to help. And we start asking How, where's the benefit? And so it would be a little bit like the message on pragmatism, where we start to say, well, I'm going to do it this way because I'm not getting the outcome, or the uh, the outcome isn't what I want. Um, So I'm going to change how I'm doing it, uh, rather than just doing what we're supposed to do. If we start applying the benefits or the gains, then we might start thinking of things like this. Well, you know, there are certain people that don't really fit our mold. And, you know, I think we can be guilty sometimes of putting more effort into the folks that fit the mold. And I'm not saying that about this church in particular at all. I'm not, I haven't even seen that. I'm just saying, in human nature, sometimes we can think, well, they fit the mold, so I'm going to invest in them because the return is probably a little bit more secure. The return is probably a little bit more guaranteed. But these people over here, you know, uh, you know, they're struggling. They don't even have a job. And, and we might let somebody like that go a little bit and invest more over here. Where, and, but in God's eyes, we're all unworthy. You know, you think about Luke 14. And when the servant went out to find those for his master, those that, that rejected it and said they were too busy, the master said, okay, where did he say to go after that? Go to the highways and go to the hedges and find the maimed, and find the poor, and find those who don't fit the mold. If we ever get to the place where we're ministering based on what we perceive to be the benefit of the person we're ministering to, then we are thinking in an ungodly manner. Because that's not how God looked at us. You know what? We didn't fit his mold. The Lord found us in the highways and hedges. And I'm eternally grateful that he did. What I'm saying tonight, it is, it is ungodly to obey or follow God based on how much benefit we get from following God. That's not how Christ followed the Father. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. See, according to Christ's examples, when we're, example, when we're dealing with people, it's not about what they bring to the table. That's why we have a bus ministry, because we don't just minister to the people that have good returns. We're supposed to go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come, whether or not they fit the mold. And even if I don't see myself as worth it, Jesus Christ did. Do you view others that way? I mean, Jesus Christ left everything to gain someone like me. And we must view others as worth the effort, no matter how small the returns seem. It's a standard God holds himself to. The Lord didn't let what he was losing affect his obedience... ...nor did he obey based on what he was gaining. Jesus Christ simply obeyed. And I want you to think about how it turned out for him. Look at verse 9. It says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Everyone look at it. Verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him... ...and given him a name which is above every name... So a result of obeying whether or not you gain or whatever you're losing one result is that God will exalt us. God exalted his son. God blessed him. God rewarded him. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Now we don't get that reward For sure, because only one deserves that kind of worship. But verse 11, that every tongue should confess... ...that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not saying that we'll be exalted to that measure... ...but we do know that when we obey, God blesses us. Whether or not we we have much on earth that we gain or whether or not we have to lose a lot to get it or it costs us a lot, if we simply obey, if we just look past what we lose and we look past what we gain and we see the end, which is obedience to God, somehow, and I don't know how he does it, but somehow he turns all the gains and all the losses into our joy. Hebrews 12 says, it says, "...for the joy that was set before him..." endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ didn't look at the gains. He didn't just look at the losses. He looked at the end, which is, I will obey to please God and nothing else. And I will leave all the rewards, and I'll leave all the benefits, and I'll leave all the gains in his hands. And by obeying, he was exalted above measure. But folks, listen, if we we just ought to rather than look at what we lose and whether it be focused on what we gain, we just need to obey. We follow God, not because of what, what we get in the process, but because at the end, he will make sure that we're rewarded as we ought to be. You know, the Bible is... So that, don't miss the point. I mean, as, as great as this Christmas season is, it's not just that Christ came, it's how he came. It's his mindset. He wasn't concerned uh, with with what he was gaining. He wasn't concerned with what he was losing. He he practiced simple obedience. And in the end, God rewarded him richly. You know, this is a season of joy. You won't get this kind of joy any other way. And I'm encouraging you tonight to stop thinking about what it costs or what you gain and simply do what the Bible says to do. See, the Bible and the history, they're full of examples of God's people obeying without considering gains or losses. And I think of the great missionary, Adoniram Judson. You know, maybe you've heard of him. Let me just read some excerpts. This is uh, I could have gotten this from a biography. This was from a blog, an online article called A Life Not Wasted. About Adoniram Judson. It says, he, he and his wife Anne's missionary endeavors... First to India and later to Burma, which is present-day Myanmar. They were fraught with suffering and tragedy. They underwent economic challenges, losing the financial backing of their supporters just a few months after leaving the states. Their plans unexpectedly changed when problems with their visas in India forced them to settle in Burma. Once there, they faced a severe language barrier. And listen to this, studying the language for 12 hours a day for over three years. ...in order to learn it. I mean, that cost them something. When they finally could communicate... ...their message was met with relative indifference... ...because the Burmese citizens... uh, ...due in part to the prevalent Buddhism... ...and also because there was an imperial death sentence... ...to anyone that was convicted of changing religion. After 12 years of work... ...Judson and his fellow missionaries had seen only 18 conversions. So 12 years in, if Judson was driven by what, he, what it was costing him compared to what he was getting in the process, do you think he would have stayed? I mean, 12, uh, 12 hours a day for three years to learn the language, and after 12 years, only 18 converts? If he's thinking cost-benefit analysis, he probably would not have, have stayed his course. And it goes further, beyond the constant threats of sickness and disease, Judson also faced serious dangers from the government. Suspected of being a spy during Burma's civil war, he was sent to a death prison where he was tortured and forced on a death march that nearly killed him. In all, he spent 17 months behind bars. More painful than that, Judson endured the pain of loss Some two dozen times. His wife Anne died just a few months after he was released from prison. She would not be the only family member who died during his tenure. From 1812 to 1850, 24 of Judson's relatives or close associates... ...went home to heaven, including several of his children. Okay, we're talking about cost. And we're talking about benefits. If the cost is too high and the benefit doesn't seem enough... ...would Adoniram Judson had stayed in Burma? I mean, humanly speaking, I I think we know the answer. As a husband, a father, a missionary, and friend... ...Judson truly knew what, what it was to sacrifice and suffer. Nevertheless, enduring all of this... ...he steadfastly pursued his goal of evangelizing the Burmese people... ...and translating the Bible into their language... When he died, the translation work had been completed, a hundred churches had been planted, and 8,000 Burmese professed faith in Jesus Christ. Adoniram Judson and his family made enormous sacrifices. It cost them greatly for the sake of the gospel. From a worldly perspective, some might argue they wasted their lives. They moved far away from the comforts of their North American roots. They endured the pain of rejection, hunger, torture, loss. And they did all of it to bring good news to an antagonistic, indifferent culture. Looking back, of course, we see Judson's efforts were not in vain. His translation of the Bible is still used in Myanmar today. His spiritual legacy continues to bear fruit. In 1993, the head of Myanmar Evangelical Fellowship stated this. Said, today there are six million Christians in Myanmar, and every one of us trace our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. See, I'm thankful for the example of a man who wasn't following God just based on, well, as long as the costs are minimal, I'll follow. And on the other hand, he wasn't following God by saying, well, as long as the benefits are, are significant enough, then I will follow. He was simply obeying, and he left the rewards up to God. And because he did, six, in 93, 25 years ago, 6 million. You know, I, I think about this thought at Christmas time, and I, I'm going to bring this back around and we'll be done. You know, one of my favorite parts about Christmas as a dad is watching my children open presents. I don't know what it is. I just, I just love to watch them open presents, especially the younger they are. On Christmas morning, you know, I, my son is six, Jace. He's still really, really into presents. Almost as much as candy, but not quite. Someone gave him, and I, I'm not sure who, and I'm thankful, somebody gave him some Lego sets. And he went home, and for four hours this afternoon, him and Lacey just putting stuff together, master builders, I'm telling you. They were bringing it out to me. It was awesome. I'm telling you. I love it. You know, on Christmas morning, Jason will get to open some presents, and, and he's going to have a grand time. And I, I'm going to sit there and watch his joy, and I'll be enjoying it from my seat. And that'll be the highlight of my day. But you know what I won't be saying? I won't be saying, man, I can't believe that gift cost me so much money. Well, maybe I will. But <laughs> depends. No, I won't be saying that. I'm not going to be saying, I can't believe how much that gift cost me. I could have used that money towards something else, like a new tool. You know, I, or saying, I'm not going to say, I, I can't believe what I had to give up for that. You know, so I won't be focused on the cost. But I also, on the other hand, won't be thinking uh, and saying, well, all I get out of this is watch him open presents. There's not much gain out of that. That's not much of a benefit. He doesn't even cook. He certainly doesn't clean his room very well. We're working on it. And he definitely does not bring any income into our home. What I gained is not worth it. No, I won't be thinking that at all. I'm not going to be thinking about the costs, I'm not going to be thinking about the gains. Why? Because I love him. I love him a lot. And he may not bring much production to our household. We're working on it. He's starting to work with me and I'm thankful for it. But right now, but his value as a soul in the image of God is priceless. So I'm going to keep investing in him with the hopes that someday he'll become a godly young man who loves and serves God with all of his heart. And he turns around and loves other people the way that he's been loved. And I, I hope that someday we'll have a relationship that is so good and he loves me right now, and he'll do whatever I, I do. He thinks anything I do is the coolest, best, funniest thing in the world right now. He just say everything I do, and I'm thankful for that. I know it won't always be that way, but I'm grateful it is now. But I hope someday we'll have a relationship that's so good. He loves me a lot right now, but it's with limited understanding. And I hope someday he'll love me just because he enjoys the relationship. I mean, not because I give him presents or or give him this or that, just because he enjoys it. Now, I think the Lord looks at us that way. See, he gives not because we've earned it, because we couldn't. He gives not because we provide any benefit to him, because we don't. And frankly, it costs him a lot. And I'm not sure what benefit he really gets, but he has always longed for a good relationship with us. He's always been looking for fellowship. And by continually investing, he's molding us into what we're supposed to become. And the point is this. If God gives without considering costs or gains, then I will follow without considering costs or gains. If he loves me unconditionally and he's not thinking about what it costs, and he loves me unconditionally and he's not thinking about how much benefit I bring, then you know what? I will turn around, and when it comes to following and obeying then I will tell him, God, whatever it is, I won't consider costs and I won't consider gains. I will simply follow and obey. If you love me that way, I'll follow you that way. See, if Jace ever grows up and says about our relationship, Dad, following you costs me too much. Or Dad, following you or having a relationship with you, it doesn't really benefit me very much. I'd be devastated about that. But God must feel that way about some of his children. See, after giving everything, everything for us, I wonder what he thinks when I struggle giving back to him. See, don't think about what you'll lose. Stop focusing on what you'll gain. Just love God, trust his plan, and follow. And if we are to believe the principle here that he will exalt those that humble themselves, like he did with his own son, then someday we don't have to run the cost-benefit analysis. He'll do it for us. And he'll say, you gave of yourself. You sacrificed. You obeyed. You didn't do it out of gain. You didn't do it for what it costs you. You just simply obeyed. And I will give you rich rewards because of it. If you want to give a great gift to God for Christmas, then maybe we ought to just get on our knees and tell him, no matter what it costs and no matter what I gain, I will follow. And I'm going to leave the outcome... To you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.